Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. On today's Ministry Watch Extra episode, I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Paul Gladder. Paul is the editor-in-chief at Religion Unplugged and the director of the journalism program at the King's College in New York City. His journalism experience includes a long tenure with the Wall Street Journal. Paul, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Warren. Good to be with you. Yeah, and and by the way, before we get started, uh, school year over there at King's was a successful year. It really was. We made it through. We had a great commencement. And um, I think that, the, you know, I was just really proud of the students. Um, and, uh, who, who, you know, we hung in there. A lot of us were in person all year long in New York City during the pandemic. So it was a great it was a good year overall. Well, that's a real accomplishment. And congratulations to you and to the entire team up there at King's for that. Uh, let me jump straight into the stories now that I wanted to visit with you about, Paul. Uh, stories that you guys originated on Religion Unplugged. In some cases, in fact, I think in all cases uh, of the ones that we're going to talk about today, we also reprinted them at Ministry Watch, and we're really grateful for that partnership and for the opportunity to do so. I want to begin with the story about Harold Camping. Harold Camping was a radio preacher from California, and he became known for predicting the end of the world in 2011. In fact, this week is the 10th anniversary of that infamous prediction, which I'm assuming is why you guys chose to write about him in the first place. Um, May 21, uh, he said that there was going to be a terrific earthquake. That's May 21 of 2011. He warned that it would be way bigger than anything the earth had ever experienced. And that'll be the beginning of Judgment Day. Yeah. Well, I was I was glad we could we could do this story because actually we're in um, a a wonderful journalist uh, named John McCandlish Phillips. He had put me onto that story back in 2011. In fact, I looked up some old emails from from that, uh, which which I could talk about, and, and m- myself and a an, uh, young guy named Albert Chu, another journalist, we covered that story for World Magazine in 2011, and I was told it was one of the most trafficked pieces that year. So yep. we got this pitch from Chris Hutton to look back 10 years later, and it was really fascinating because, as you pointed out, you know Harold Camping was this 90-year-old preacher, radio star, essentially to some communities. He invested nearly $100 million into an ad campaign to spread the news of, you know, his prediction that the world was going to end on that certain date. And, um, you know, some denounced uh, him as, as a heretic. Um, and he the story gets into what happened after that prediction, basically. He died uh, two years later in 2013 at age 92. And um, the fascinating thing that Christopher points out in his reporting, though, is that, you know, Camping sort of apologized for being wrong, or, or he admitted he was wrong, but did, you know, maybe it wasn't a full apology. The station he founded, uh, or the network of stations, really disassociated themselves with him. Uh, and, and they've suffered strangely. Meanwhile, a lot of his followers seem to have moved on to other uh, you know, platforms that still play camping's messages. And he has a very strange following, it seems, uh, from people who are, you know, engineers and math types who like numerology and predicting the end of the world kind of stuff. And, um, 
some people, you know, Christopher draws comparisons in the piece, but some some who say the QAnon ph- phenomenon may be a little bit like the phenomena that uh, Harold Camping was tamping, tapping into 10 years ago. Yeah, you know, one of the, there were a couple of things that were fascinating to me about that story, and you've mentioned a couple of them, but I do want you to say maybe a little bit more about them. One was the whole numerology aspect of it. Um, obviously, a lot of numbers in the Bible. There's no doubt about that. In fact, there's an entire book of numbers in the Bible, but... He kind of took it to a strange level, and as you say, it attracted a certain kind of person uh, that was um, that that was fascinated with those numbers. But the other thing that was interesting to me, and again, you alluded to it, but I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about it. Uh, Family Radio, his organization, made some pretty serious attempts to dissociate, um, to try to come back from the heretical teachings of Harold Camping to more of a mainstream. They were playing, for example, people like John MacArthur uh, on their program and got a number of more mainstream uh, radio preachers to kind of come back. Um, but it it still has been kind of a uh, – Camping has been sort of an albatross around family radio's neck for all these years. Uh, are they fully recovered or close to fully recovered, or how are they doing now? Yeah, I mean, I took a quick look at their 990s today, and you can see that there's a budget deficit each year. So maybe they're trying to, you know, uh, uh, reorganize a little bit in the absence of camping. He definitely seemed to be an unusual figure in American Christianity, someone who was persuasive and could command a following and an interest in his prophecies, etc. And um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if long term, if Family Radio is able to... uh, you know, turn the corner past his legacy. Uh, meanwhile, there's a different uh, organization, as the story talks about, that has sprung up and co- continuing Camping's legacy. So, um, you know, it's I'm, I'm curious. Well, it'd be good to keep an eye on on both those organizations and see what becomes of them. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And we certainly will, as I'm sure you, uh, you guys will at Religion Unplugged as well. Um, Paul, let me pivot in our conversation and talk about uh, a story that uh, you guys, I think, originally picked it up from the Christian Chronicle, a Churches of Christ publication. And that's about that's a story about how Christian colleges are letting their facilities be used as vaccination sites. Right, right. Yeah, it was a good piece uh, by the reporter there, like you say, at Christian Chronicle. And, you know, it's interesting to see. It's churches, I think, as well as Christian universities uh, using their facilities to, uh, you know, try to get more people vaccinated. To me, Warren, in one sense, it's not so surprising. I mean, we see all kinds of different facilities, pubs and, you know, cemeteries or (laughs) swimming pools, all kinds of places being used as vaccination stations, let's say. Um, uh, so it's, uh, it's not surprising that churches and Christian colleges are doing that. Um, and, um, I, I appreciate hearing about those that are doing it. Perhaps it raises a question, maybe more should be doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you're right. And, and in fact, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this story, because, um, it, I really want our listeners to know that, you know, Christian organizations, churches particularly, uh, are really doing important work in the culture and not just evangelism and discipleship, even though, of course, that's important and they should be doing that. 
but um, also, um, you know, performing a role, I guess you could say, as, as civic glue that's holding communities together. I also wanted our listeners to know that, you know, Ministry Watch, Religion Unplugged, and the Christian Chronicle, three organizations that in some ways we each have our own lane where maybe some might even think we could be, we would be competitors, but in fact, we're not. Uh, we're working together, and I think that that's uh, really important in and of itself. But but here's the other thing about this that I uh, was wondering if you guys got any pushback on. I actually got some criticism for running that article. I got some negative feedback saying that Christians, that, you know, some conspiracy theories about the vaccine, um, that we shouldn't be encouraging people to take the vaccine. And uh, I'm just wondering, did you guys get any feedback along those lines? I don't personally think we got that kind of feedback. I do see in the story itself, the reporter talks about congregations and uh, while, while congregations and university officials saw this as an opportunity to, to, quote, love our neighbors, other Christians didn't like it. We're protesting, I guess, as you point out, it's, it's people who, uh, it's Christian believers who don't believe in vaccination as, a, uh, uh, you know, for whatever reasons and who think that, you know, it's, the, the, the state control, or maybe they just don't believe in pub, the public health uh, or CDC, et cetera. So is that the uh, source of the pushback that you guys got, people who didn't like the vaccination idea? Yeah, that's right. They were opposed to the vaccination in general. Uh, they thought that the vaccination was, in some cases, evil and that the go- it was a, a government plot. Um, I was, I guess, to be honest with you, I, I knew those people were out there. I just didn't think they were in our audience. Maybe, maybe that was the um, the real surprise for me. Uh, in in that was that uh, they were responding. You know, they obviously were Ministry Watch uh, readers and listeners, and uh, they were the ones that were kind of giving us that feedback. But so be it is what it is. I thought it was a great story, Paul. Really glad y'all ran it, and I was really glad that we were able to pick it up uh, at Ministry Watch as well. Let me uh, once again pivot in our conversation and um, talk. Of, uh, so. Since you and I haven't spoken in a while, Paul, it's been you know probably six or eight weeks. Um, went back a little bit to a story that you guys did in April. Uh, Julia Dean uh, wrote that story for you. It was about the false prophets who said that Donald Trump was going to win the election. It's a longish story, and um, I'm wondering um, what you could tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, this story is really about backlash. Again, that seems to be a common a common theme here. I mean, there's backlash in the camping story, backlash uh, to the, the the vaccination story we talked about, and then in this uh, in this case, I mean, Julia Dean had written some earlier uh, stories for us about how uh, the prophetic movement had predicted Donald Trump was going to win in 2020, and then um, they were some of them, you know, uh, apologized for that later, um, although and others didn't. But it's basic. She's been covering the charismatic movement, Pentecostal movements, uh, and pro- prophetic uh, uh, churches that practice prophecies, et cetera, and, and sort of the tensions around bungling predictions about that election. And this is essentially an update story. And the update explains how um, some of these leaders, these uh, charismatic leaders, uh, uh, tried to have are trying to create prophetic standards. Some have apologized and faced severe backlash from. Uh, uh, you know, for even admitting that their prophecy was a failure, that, uh, you know, that, that, that they weren't, or that prophecy wasn't being used in the correct way. And so there's one, for example, there's one uh, pastor 
Lauren Sandford in Denver, who had prophesied a 2020 Trump victory. Then he apologized when he got it wrong. And he said that after that, I was called vile and hateful names and was accused of being faithless and a traitor. Views on his YouTube channel dropped by 70% and 200 subscribers out of about 15,700 abandoned him. It's been common knowledge, he said, that the movement needed reforming, and several years ago he was part of a prophetic group that crafted a similar document. So that seems to be what this update is, is about, the fallout in, in, the, uh, in the movement. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, well, Dr. Michael Brown was one of the um, folks that uh, drafted uh, the, this particular uh, document uh, trying to create some of these prophetic standards. He lives here in Charlotte, or at least in the Charlotte area where I live. I've known Dr. Brown for a long time and think that he is just an outstanding uh, individual. So it doesn't surprise me that he was be in the forefront um, of trying to create some reforms in this movement. But I think that, that one of the things that you mentioned, Paul, was the thing that's kind of struck me the most is that these are guys that made a mistake and then they admitted their error, which I would think that if you're, if you know, as a Christian, obviously we think it's a bad thing when people sin, when people make mistakes. But when that does happen, <laughs> it's a good thing when they actually admit it and they say, I was wrong. I repent. And they exercise a little bit of humility. I think that to me was the ironic thing here is that is that Christians were criticizing these people for doing exactly what the Bible tells us to do in those circumstances. Absolutely. Uh, to me, it's, you know, it, uh, it should be a wake-up call, and I'm really glad that Julia has been following this, and I frankly feel uh, for some of these, these pastors who are, uh, you know, suffering because of their, you know, apologies. So. Yeah, right. I do hope Christians listening to this, frankly, just think about, um, yeah, just think about the gospel. What what are we taught when, um, I mean, we can think of disciples and characters in the Bible who who made mistakes and turned, right? Um, apostles, disciples, uh, and it's, it's still a human thing. And so I think uh, some of the reporting here, I hope, just gives us the facts, a common set of facts that I hope people will pause, think about, and and, and uh, consider, wait a minute, what what's really going on here? Uh and maybe I should maybe I should listen to uh, what the pastor is saying and, and read these standards um, and, and consider this. Well, that's right. I certainly do hope that they'll read the standards. And you know, and wherever you stand on the um, you know subject of Donald Trump and politics, or gifts of the Spirit and the role of prophecy in the church, um, you know, I think that this notion of uh, admitting admitting that you're wrong when you are wrong, admitting that you made a mistake when you did make a mistake, seems like it should transcend the political and theological differences that we might have. I mean, that is such a core, uh, you know, confession and repentance is such a core part of the gospel message. You would think that uh, maybe that would be at least one aspect of the story that we could all stand behind. But uh, your story points out, of course, that that's not the case. 
Paul, we've got to bring our time to a close. Uh, but before we do, um, I, I wanted to take a moment and remember Rachel Zoll, who um, was the longtime religion reporter uh, for the Associated Press. She died of brain cancer a couple of weeks ago on May the 7th at age 55. Uh, she was first diagnosed with brain cancer, I think, in uh, 2018. So just a few years, very you know short time ago, just a few years ago. And uh, Paul, I'm wondering um, what else you can tell us about Rachel and her contribution to religion reporting over the past decade and a half or more. Right. Well, I could just mention a couple of things others have written because I'm I'm uh, still fairly new to religion reporting insofar as I was a more of a business reporter in the ba- in the past. But um, I've I've known Rachel's Rachel's name and and on Twitter there uh, as well as her coverage and the tribute that uh, the AP wrote to her. Um, you know, is that, you know, she was 55. She was, she'd spent 17 years on the beat and she was really, really good at it. And she was a good reporter and you who asked insightful questions, really spent time trying to be accurate, which is all we, we can ask of, of a journalist, especially one covering religion is to try to be fair and accurate. And I think she had that kind of reputation as far as I can tell. And there were some nice details about her life. Um, I think her battle in the last few years, um, uh, you know, she demonst- demonstrated courage through that and was even, uh, uh, you know, helping lend a grant for AP from Lilly Endowment to expand religion coverage. Uh, she was involved, I think it says, in AP's uh, uh, breaking the story of, of Billy Graham dying on, on, in 2018. And there's a delightful anecdote about her in the very end of the story that it says that she played uh, an all in an all-woman accordion orchestra called the Main Squeeze. And, uh, you know... And that's one of the band members took a sledgehammer to a squeeze box at a show in New York. <laughs> and um, uh, so, you know, there's some fun details there, too. There is also a tribute that our columnist, Bobby Ross, who works for the Christian Chronicle and writes a weekly column for us called Weekend Plug-In. And I might give a plug for that Weekend Plug-In <laughs> because uh, his May 14th edition uh, gave a tribute to Rachel Zoll, who he worked with at the AP. And um, every week. Bobby goes through uh, key stories, uh, key items in the world of religion news and religion reporting and gives a really wonderful roundup that a lot of your, our listeners, your listeners and, and our listeners, uh, would probably like to receive in their email box each week. So they can sign up for that at, uh, uh, at religiononplug.com and definitely follow uh, Religion Mag on Twitter. Uh, as well as Bobby on Twitter. Yeah, well, Bobby knew Rachel um, uh, well because he was he was working for the Associated Press, covering religion, uh, not in New York. Rachel was in New York whenever um, whenever he joined the AP. So, but but they worked together. They were colleagues. They went back and forth a lot. I only had an opportunity to meet Rachel a few times in my life, but I remember one of those times pretty vividly. I was in New York City, and back then, Paul, the uh, Associated Press is um, world worldwide headquarters, and they had close to 2,000 employees uh, on 33rd Street, uh, kind of on the far west side. And um, I can't even now remember honestly what the reason was, but uh, uh, I had uh, an appointment with Rachel in that building, and it was uh, kind of a moving experience for me to go into that AP building because they have actually had a wall in there. 
uh, that honored uh, reporters who had died while doing their work as journalists uh, all around the world. And um, since then, the Associated Press has moved out of that building down to kind of where the King's College is down in the lower Manhattan. But uh, Rachel gave me a tour of the Associated Press facility, and we had our meeting and and did whatever it is that we were doing that day. But one of the things that I came away from that meeting um, really knowing about Rachel was just what a sweet person she was, a, you know, very um, a sharp reporter, wasn't afraid to ask tough questions, but also just a, a sweet individual and would uh, do even the hard parts of her job with uh, a, a great deal of compassion and empathy. So I was um, I was uh, surprised and um, saddened to hear of her passing, but uh, she leaves a great legacy, no doubt about that. Well, Paul, we've got to bring our time uh, together to a close. Uh, I, I really appreciate you being on. and appreciate the work that you're doing there at Religion Unplugged and look forward to having you back next month. Great. I look forward to that too, Warren. Well, to find out more about Religion Unplugged and the stories we discussed today, you can go to religionunplugged.com. If you'd like to give to its International Reporting Fund, there's a link at the top of the page that will allow you to do that. To find out more about Ministry Watch, of course, you can go to our website, ministrywatch.com. And I'd like to share with you a couple of quick notes before we go. First, I want to let you know that the classic book Mission Drift is Ministry Watch's Book of the Month. Mission Drift sprang out of research done by co-author Peter Greer and his colleagues and co-authors into the reasons that some ministries strayed away from their founding missions. They experienced mission drift, in other words, and how others were able to stay mission true. This is an important book, and for a gift of any size, we'll send you that book as our thank you for your support of Ministry Watch. We think every Christian donor and ministry leader should have this book in his or her library. Um, but if you want it, you need to act fast because this offer expires on May 31st, which is when? This uh, Monday night. It's Memorial Day. Secondly, if you're in a spot where you can't contribute any money, I get it. Been there a time or two myself, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't help us out. First of all, we covet your prayers. We write a lot here at Ministry Watch about people who started out strong, but finished poorly. Pray for us that uh, what God has begun here at Ministry Watch will continue faithfully through the years. And secondly, if you're listening to this podcast on a podcast app and not streaming it on the website, you can give us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the better the program performs with search engines. It's an important way that you can help us that doesn't cost you a dime. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. Here at Ministry Watch, we get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Dornell, and Casey Suddeth. Thanks to Bobby Ross, Julia Dean, Christopher Hutton, and the entire Religion Unplugged team for providing us the content that Paul and I discussed today. And, of course, I'd like to thank my guest host and Religion Unplugged leader, Paul Gladder, for joining me on the program. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks, Warren. I'm Warren Smith, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.